Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. A question from a listener is one you may be thinking about yourself while you're in the garden. Why are my tomato leaves turning brown? Well, there are several possibilities, including shaded older leaves, tomato russet mites, white flies, aphids, the tomato psyllid, root knot nematodes, fusarium wilt, verticillium wilt, late blight, powdery mildew, even smog. But in most of those instances, the tomatoes themselves will show some abnormalities. In this case, the tomatoes were perfect. Is this another instance of climate change playing havoc with our gardens? America's favorite retired college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower, tackles this one. But we have more questions than answers. Now, in the middle of that chat, Debbie mentions a use for old potting soil, just in case that's the culprit. Making a hypertufa pot. We touched on that topic a couple of months ago, but it was buried inside another tomato question, so you may have missed it. So... Here it is again, one use for suspect or old potting soil, making your own pottery, in this case, a hypertufa pot. Debbie will explain. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. We like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics Podcast. Debbie Flower is here, America's favorite retired college horticultural professor. We get a question from Jordy. Jordy lives in the Sacramento area. And uh, Debbie, she writes us and asks, What's up with my early girl leaves, Farmer Fred? And my favorite retired horticultural professor, Debbie Flower. Why? I potted the plant, the early girl, in a 20-gallon smart pot in April with fresh soil topped with two to three inches of fresh mulch. I planted four different tomato varieties all on the back porch, spaced about four feet away from each other. This is the only one with weird leaves. They all have a south and a west exposure. I might start rolling them under the shade cloth uh, every time the temperature gets up to 100 degrees. The tomatoes are absolutely flawless, but it's concerning the leaves. They're even more freckled and pale than I am. My grandpa, a longtime listener of yours, Thanks, I think. Uh, Thinks it might be mosaic virus. I used the same freshly purchased and unopened outdoor potting soil for all four of the tomatoes I potted. I think it took three bags, so each pot has some soil from each bag. I also used one bag of mulch equally to top all of them. I scooched the early girl another couple of feet away from the other three, but because the tomatoes are so good, I don't plan on throwing it out. Every week or two, I use a 644 liquid fertilizer. That would be 6% nitrogen, 4% phosphorus, 4% potassium. Not in that order. Uh, And dilute it. I diluted it to two. uh, She used one teaspoon per gallon when the directions called for two teaspoons per gallon. Good idea with a... a Weekly, weekly. Weekly, weekly, yes. uh, With a containerized plant. She says, I'll get a pH test kit and let you know what I find out. Thanks for the help. Wilted but delicious, Jordy. 
we have more questions. Yes. <laughs> and we have answers. My first thought is the tomatoes are okay. Okay. Find something else to do. <laughs> yeah. That, don't worry about it. Yeah. She's doing so many things right. Good size container, mm-hmm. good type of container, fresh media. We don't know what it is. They're good bagged stuff that you can buy and put in containers. And there's others that's not so good. That's and where the key may be. Here. That Yeah. Yeah. She, but she said she used it for all of them and she's yeah. not seeing the same symptoms in all of them. That The fact that she's not seeing the same symptoms in all of them is the number one clue that this is an environmental problem, not a disease or insect problem. Because the host is tomato. If it were a disease or insect problem, the host is tomato, and it would likely be in all of the plants. However, different tomatoes have different resistances. Mm -hmm. And this one, uh, the early girl is is resistant to a lot of the funguses, uh, not necessarily to mosaic virus. Mosaic virus typically enters through a sucking insect. It's carried from another plant into it or uh, from people who smoke and have a lot of happen to have smoked a cigarette that had tobacco in it that had tobacco mosaic virus. And there are tomato varieties. And I think that early girl might be one of them that is resistant to TMV, tobacco mosaic virus. Early girl has always been one of my favorites because it's so reliable Mm -hmm. and it it really does not succumb to many diseases. From her pictures, I also think we're seeing, I think we're seeing micronutrient deficiencies, possibly. Uh, The the yellowing of the leaves is occurring at, at the tips uh, and sort of an irregular pattern. It's not just on one side. It's not just on the new stuff. It's not just on the old stuff. It's not just the top. It's not just the bottom. But it looks like green veins and yellow between the green veins. And then there are some dead spots. There, There's some black. Once it's dead, it's dead. It's very hard to tell what's causing the problem. Micronutrient deficiencies are often occur when the pH of the soil gets too high because the ions in the soil then tie up these micronutrients. The number one micronutrient we see is iron deficiency, and that's when the pH gets very high. Is that what it is? It's really hard to tell. Yeah, and usually if it is some sort of deficiency, it would also manifest itself in the fruit. Mm. But the pictures of the tomato she's sending, they look very good. And from the other pictures, there's plenty of tomatoes on those vines. But that happens at some point that, you know, you, you can have a deficiency, but the plant will still produce the fruit. The plant's... Uh, job in this world is to reproduce itself. It's to make seed. In order to make seed, it makes fruit. And so it will sacrifice from itself into the fruit. In some cases. In other cases, it sacrifices the fruit to save itself. But those are typically perennial plants. However, tomatoes are perennials, just not in our environment. Correct. So, what should a poor gardener do? Good question. Uh, the other thing besides the micronutrient deficiency that occurred to me was the southwest exposure in, in Central Valley, California, or Sacramento Valley, California. That's hot. That's very hot. And it's on a porch, so there's a, a, a wall nearby that's absorbing and, and reflecting uh, more heat. Uh, but again, she says all her other tomatoes are handling it, and this one is not. Why this one is not, I can't say. Especially since we're dealing with four different varieties. Yes, and we, we don't, don't know, know the other yeah. ones. And they may be more heat resistant. Right. 
than Early Girl, although Early Girl was developed in California. So you would think that, you know, it would be have some sort of, of course, right. in this, this day and age with heat, uh, all bets are off. Yes. So, so it's very difficult to tell. I wish we had more information. Yeah. But I think as long as the tomatoes are producing and they're flawless and they're tasty, uh, enjoy the season. And then uh, you may want to just next year uh, try a different potting soil. And uh, clean out your smart pots uh, thoroughly. Right. And the, the, the media that's around this early girl it may need to go into the green waste bin rather than or be used to make tufa pots <laughs> rather than be reused for plants in the future. Did we do an episode on tufa pots? I think we did. We did, yeah. Okay. I will find that and post a link to it in today's show notes. Okay. If you wanna if you wanna do tufa pots. With your with your soil. Leftover media that's good for tufa pots. All right. But we are, uh, at this time of the year, we're in the height of uh, tomato time here. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, oddly enough, here, it's not too late to even plant a tomatoes. If you have a, a tomato plant in, sitting in a container that you haven't planted yet, or if you go to a nursery, you can still find tomato plants. Wow. In five gallon or fifteen gallon containers, and our season is so long. Yeah, you could put in an early maturing variety like Early Girl. That's something that matures in fifty sixty days, mm-hmm. because fifty sixty days from now would be late October. And actually, a lot of gardeners say that the best tomatoes around here come in October and even early November. Depending. I always like to have at least one at my Thanksgiving dinner. Gardener's Delight. Yeah. I guarantee it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It always does. All right, Jordy. Hope that helps. And uh, enjoy the tomatoes while you have them. Debbie, thanks so much. You're welcome, Fred. You've heard me talk about the benefits of Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric container. Smart Pots are sold around the world and are proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Many of the imitators are selling cheaply made fabric pots that fall apart quickly. Not Smart Pots. There are satisfied Smart Pot owners who have been using the same Smart Pots for over a decade, actually approaching 20 years. When you choose Smart Pot fabric containers, you know you'll be having a superior growing experience with the best product on the market. And your plants will appreciate Smart Pots too. Because of the 1 million microscopic holes in Smart Pots, your soil will have better drainage and the roots will be healthier. They won't be going round and round on the outside of the soil ball like you see in so many plastic pots. The air pruning qualities of smart pots creates more branching of the roots, filling more of the usable soil in the smart pot. Smart pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com slash Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your Smart Pot order by using the coupon code FRED. Use it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. Visit smartpots.com slash FRED for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer FRED 10% discount. Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. Now, I realize in that previous segment with Debbie Flower, we started to talk about hypertufa pots 
but we didn't really talk about it. I mentioned that we'll provide a link in the show notes to where we did talk about it in the recent past, back in episode 203. But, you know, it was kind of buried in that show. So here it is. If you want to know more about Hypertufa Bots, our chat with Debbie Flower about making your own pottery with old potting soil. Can we talk hypertufa pots? Oh, sure. Okay, let's talk hypertufa pots since we're in a pot frame of mind here, so to speak. Hypertufa, you mentioned that on an episode a while back in in your college classes, uh, the students would be making hypertufa pots. What is a hypertufa pot? Uh, It's kind of a trough. I don't know where it started. The reason we started it was we had lots of leftover media and we always want the students to be successful. And so we... We start a lot of seeds, so we didn't want to reuse the media. That's one place where I will not reuse media is when I'm starting seeds, because seeds, starting from seeds, because seeds can, uh, seedlings can get diseases from the media that mature plants would not get. And specifically, that's called damping off. So we had a big pile of used media at school that we didn't know what to do with. And it was made primarily of peat moss, perlite, and vermiculite, which is a very classic mixture for uh, container plants. You'll find it at Cornell University. You'll find a UC Davis mix. Uh, and they contain those three ingredients, peat moss, perlite, and vermiculite. So I was looking for something to do with them, and the hypertufa pot idea came up. And what you do is take one part cement, and it has to be cement, not concrete, and three parts of that leftover container media. And if you don't have leftover container media, then you can make, uh, those, that three parts with half of, uh, a volume of peat moss and half a volume of perlite. That would be your least, uh, expensive, probably combination. You could probably use coir and perlite as well to make your three parts. And so we had a big wheelbarrow and we had containers and we just had the students picking up containers of of cement, throw it in, add a little water, pick up three containers of the same size of the leftover media, mix it together. You can get concrete dye, cement dye. It's expensive. It's the most expensive part of the job. It's coloring it? Yeah, Yeah. and you can make them into colors. You can color the the mix. Depending on how wet it gets, if you have it like thick oatmeal you and you're very artistic or whatever, you can just form the pot yourself freehand. We used molds. We took grow pots and uh, oiled them with vegetable oil and then put the media inside the grow pot and then had another smaller. So let's say we used a number five and a number one. The number five would be our outside mold. We we'd grease with the vegetable oil the inside of the number five, then set the number one in the middle of it. And the number one would have uh, grease on the outside of the pot. And before we set that number one and we took a little piece of PVC pipe, we would cut it into about two inch thick, two inch long pieces of one inch thick PVC pipe. Any kind you got lying around. Doesn't matter what grade PVC it is. That's for your drain hole. We didn't grease that. Maybe we should have because sometimes it didn't come out at the end. So two inches thick is important as well because the walls of the hypertufa pot need to be two inches thick or they will break once you take it out of the pot. And then so we set up our molds. Put the two inches in the bottom, stick the PVC pipe into that two inches, put the number one on top of it, and then fill in around the edges. 
and we let it set. Setting time varies by humidity, temperature, how wet your media, your hypertufa media was. One day, sometimes often in teaching, it would be a week because I wouldn't see the students in lab for another week. And then we take them out. And typically out of plastic pots, they came out fairly easily. And depending on how wet they were, we would then mold the edges, the corners. If they're real dry, you just use a brick and you can take those very 90 degree edges and sand them down to be softer. It was a fun, it was an artistic thing. I've had the pots and we didn't quite know what we were dealing with. So we planted in them to see what happened. We could grow anything. I was worried that the cement would lead to a high pH. And so uh, acid loving plants would do poorly in the pot. We had no problem with it whatsoever. We've grown all kinds of things, annuals, perennials, woody plants in these pots, and they are great insulators. Because of that thick two-inch wall, you can put them out where they get full sun on the side of the container and not absorb enough heat to, to harm the roots. What diameter PVC pipe did you use for the drain holes? One inch. That's a big drain hole. Well, the, the PVC pipe, yeah, it is. Uh, sometimes the PVC pipe didn't come out of the bottom of the pot. So the hole would only be whatever the center diameter of the the one inch pipe was. So that would be about, yeah, Yeah. smaller. How did you remove the extraneous pipe? Uh, Typically we could knock it out, but sometimes it just stayed. Well, when it stayed though, did you cut it down so it wasn't so obvious? We had two inch pieces of pipe. Two inch, okay. And then we laid two inches of the media around it. You got to have two inch walls on these things. And bottom. And bottom and side. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. And we've, we, we got real creative. I think of it as real creative. We used garbage cans that I guess they were th- 30 gallon. I'm not, I mean, they probably were bigger. We turned 15 gallon pot upside down inside a number 15 mm-hmm. inside the bottom of the garbage can. And that gave us two inches around the outside and two inches over the top. So we had a, a dome. Then we put a piece of PVC right in the middle of of the flat, what was on top of the 15, the flat. That was our drain hole. Then we put another 15 on top of it and created a an urn, uh, a, a pot. So we had a very tall pot that was as tall as this big garbage can, but it, it only had a, a grow space of uh, the size of a 15-gallon pot or a number 15 pot. And 15 is usually... 18 by 18. Thank you, 18 by 18. And it it just seems like it would be heavy, but it's not. They're not. That's the beauty of these. Yeah. Because you're using three parts media and one part cement, they're not heavy. They're heavier than those plastic ones that look like they're they're ceramic, but not by much. I like the idea with your students of decorating the outside of it while it's still moist, like doing imprints of leaves or something like that. Right. That's a little tricky because you have to put the leaf in first and then pour the media over it. And it, but you get an impression. You hmm. get an, I did grape leaves on one and it, it came out quite nice. And then a lot at the top, across the top, I told students to bring in whatever bric-a-brac they wanted to bring in and they would marbles or beads or whatever would stick in the the wet top beer caps i'd bring beer caps okay well beer caps would stick quite well the stuff on top if it wasn't pushed in far enough didn't all stick oh. so it was a little bit squirrelier up there all right hyper tufa pots I guess I spelled it right, too. Mm-hmm. H-Y-P-E-R-T-U-F-A. We'll have a link in today's show notes. 
Lowe's has a video on how to make them, too. So if what we were saying sounded confusing, this might help. There are lots of videos, actually, yeah. uh, about making them. And um, they were traditionally used for – I saw them in the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens, and they were made into rectangles. That's another beautiful thing out of them. I talked about using round grow pots, mm -hmm. but we did one with that was rectangular, and we got a box and lined it with plastic. It did have sort of bulgy sides because the box wasn't real stiff. It was a cardboard box. <laughs> okay. So it bulged out a little bit. At the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens, they had rectangular ones that were probably six inches tall, maybe, maybe eight or 10 inches tall. Cause you need a good, you need a three to four inch growing depth for uh, succulents and they planted succulents. Some of them hung over the sides and so they were stacked. It was very artistic. And in a moist climate like they have there, they can grow uh, moss on them. Mm. And, and, and there, are, there are ways you can encourage the moss to grow because they have a nice rough outside. Do you have a favorite Hypertufa video? So there are many, yeah, there are many out there and the, their components of the media vary slightly and their methods of putting them together vary slightly. So yeah, it's a good idea to watch a few of them and see what you want to try. I would think, too, that being two inches thick, they're, I won't say impervious to heat, but they're certainly more heat resistant. Right. They're great insulators. Yeah. So in a hot climate like we have, they protect the roots better. Now, I have not put had them out in a hard freeze or extended hard freeze. We get hard freezes here once a year, maybe. And they've been outside and they've done just fine. But... In a much colder place that has repeated heart and extended heart freezes, you'd probably have to take them inside or they would crack. And excuse this question because I'm old, but you may have already said this. How many drain holes do you put in each pot? I've done one. I've done three. It varies. Obviously, too many would make the bottom weak. So mm, yeah, you'd want yeah. maybe four inches between them, mm -hmm. three to four inches between them and between them and the edge. All right. This is sort of trial and error thing. Oh, it's it's an experimental thing. It's yes. It's freeing to be able to do it. The only ones that have failed that I know about are the ones where the walls were too thin. All right. Every th other thing we tried, uh, well, actually, we tried big PVC pipe uh, as the mold, and it stuck to the PVC. We could not get it out. Are there molds available? I'm not aware of any. Okay. All right. There, for you entrepreneurs out there. Go for it. Yeah. Have a good time. All right. Hypertufas. Debbie Flower, thanks so much. You're welcome. You want to start the backyard fruit and nut orchard of your dreams, but maybe you don't know where to begin. Or maybe you're currently growing fruit and nut trees and you've got a million questions, such as what are the tastiest fruits to grow? Where can I go to buy some of these delectable fruit and nut trees you've been reading about? And then how do you care for all of these trees, including planting, pruning, and harvesting? I've got one online stop in mind for you where all these questions you might have will get answered. It's DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest wholesaler of fruit and nut trees for the backyard garden. They have planting tips, taste test results, and links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Click on the Home Garden tab at DaveWilson.com for all of these links, including a link to their years of informative videos about growing fruit and nut trees that they've posted on the Dave Wilson Nursery YouTube channel. Start the backyard orchard of your dreams at DaveWilson.com. 
Coming up in the Friday, August 26, 2022 Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter, Debbie Flower and I discuss a pesticide that's available to the home gardener. It's a systemic insecticide, which means it controls sucking or chewing insect pests by poisoning the plant parts that they're eating. Problem is, the beneficial insect population is at risk, too, when they're around a plant that's been treated with this insecticide, imidacloprid. That's the active ingredient found in many garden insecticides. We tell you how it works, what it controls, and most importantly, how to read the label correctly so you don't misapply imidacloprid and harm the garden good guys. It's all about imidacloprid. Find a subscription link to the newsletter in today's show notes or visit our website, gardenbasics.net, where you can sign up to have the free Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter and podcast delivered to your inbox each Friday. For current newsletter subscribers, look for all about imidacloprid in the next Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter coming out on the morning of Friday, August 26th. It'll be in your email. Take a deeper dive into gardening with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. And it's free. Find the link in today's show notes or at gardenbasics.net. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Garden Basics, it's available wherever podcasts are handed out. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, gardenbasics.net. And that's where you can find out about the free Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you so much for listening.